Hello, I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. Ten years ago this month, the Supreme Court handed down a controversial decision with a bearing on influence in politics. In Citizens United, the FEC. As liberal activists push ever harder to overturn the decision, I'm joined this week by Scott Blackburn, Research Director of the Institute for Free Speech, who recently authored a brief, Citizens United After 10 Years, More Speech, Better Democracy, laying out the case that, far from destroying democracy, the Supreme Court's holding expanded political competition. Scott, before we begin, would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about your organization, the Institute for Free Speech, and the work you guys do over there? Sure. The Institute for Free Speech is a public advocacy organization. Uh, we push for free and open political speech and and an absence of restrictions on First Amendment activity uh, across the states and in the federal government. Cool. So let's let's go back 10 years. Let's go back to the very beginning. What was the Citizens United case actually about and what did the Supreme Court ultimately hold? So the Citizens United case began because an organization, a nonprofit, uh, Citizens United, wanted to run a documentary movie called Hillary the Movie. This was critical. So, so it was, so it was a, a, a film critical of Hillary Clinton, who at the time was running for president. And this was, a, an, ad, this was an advocacy group, not a 501c3 tax deductible, not allowed to intervene in elections, right? Uh, they were a 501c4 organization at the time, but they uh, they were not. Uh, so they, they got some of their corporate money, uh, excuse me, some of their donations came from corporate sources. And so what they did is they asked the Federal Election Commission, are we allowed to run our documentary, given that some of the funding for the documentary comes from corporate sources and there's a prohibition on corporate corporate uh, contributions in federal elections. Hmm. And the Federal Election Commission said, no, you cannot run your documentary on on-demand services, uh, uh, direct TV, and you cannot hmm. advertise your documentary because those are those would occur too close to the election season, and that would be an, in, uh, uh, an electioneering communication, uh, and that's prohibited by uh, the McCain-Feingold campaign finance statute. And then, it, and then it go obviously goes through the courts, and then it ends up at the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court then rules five to four that an advocacy group can, in fact, advocate things about a presidential candidate, more or less. Yes, that's right. The Supreme Court essentially finds that this this cannot be the case. It can't be the case that campaign finance laws can ban a movie because at some point in the process, corporate funds for use that movie. In fact, famously during the oral argument, uh, the one of, one of the justices asked the advocate for the government, let's say a publishing house publishes a book and at the end of the book, the last line is, uh, so vote against candidate X. Can you prohibit the publication of that book? And the government said, yes, we can prohibit the publication mm -hmm. of that book if it has a single line of advocacy. And and that obviously then triggered a First Amendment concern from the from the court. That that caused quite a stir. They had a, another round of oral arguments where the they asked the government to try and fix their problem. Uh, they failed to do so, and they eventually ruled uh, that this cannot be the case. As long as funds are used independently of candidate campaigns, uh, they can come from corporate sources. So then, we have this ruling. There's a lot of controversy about it. What was the out? What what is ultimately the outcome? Obviously, we hear a lot of talk about the corporate about there being 
unlimited corporate campaign spending, about these super PACs, about rich people buying elections. Has that been the outcome over the 10 years? I think it's safe to say that none of the immediate predictions about Citizens United have came to pass uh, with the possible exception of a greater diversity of voices in the political process from people who agreed with the decision. Mm-hmm. Um, immediately, the fear, uh, particularly on the left, was that corporations would spend millions of millions of dollars, for-profit corporations would buy congressional votes and c- congressmen with these independent expenditures. Uh, almost none of that has come to pass. Uh, for-profit corporate spending is around about 1% of total campaign spending in the cycle since Citizens United. It's really a non-factor in elections. I mean, uh, at Capital Research Center, we we put out a report a couple years ago, and what we found was that that 501c4 spending, like groups like Citizens United was at the time of this uh, case, was smaller than FEC-regulated federal campaign spending and far smaller than the spending by traditional public policy nonprofits, uh, groups like IFS and Capital Research Center. And and there, you know, obviously don't hear quite as much about this from the press, based on the universe that we looked at, uh, not only was uh, was that universe an order of magnitude larger, it was also vastly more left leaning it was, you know, we, we found a three to one liberal advantage, uh, far from the sort of conservative and big business buying elections that some of the, the critics of the decision proposed. Uh, I, that, that sounds, uh, uh, approximately right to me. I, I haven't actually seen the, the number of advocacy spending organizations and how they fall ideologically. Uh, but yeah, C4 organizations have been a, an incredibly small part of the overall spending picture. Um, super PACs, which is another advent of super, uh, Citizens United, have been a much much larger part. Those are groups set up specifically to advocate independently for or against candidates. Uh, those, those groups spend about somewhere between 12 and 25% of the total spending since Citizens United, but those ideologically have broken down uh, uh, roughly equally between right and left. Mm. And and even some of the ones that have been fairly large have been fairly unsuccessful. I would yeah, uh, yeah. The, yeah. the 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 uh, super PACs that supported Mitt Romney in 2012 and Jeb Bush in 2016 immediately come to mind. Those are those are some of the most famous examples. But the, the, it's the case that uh, other super PACs have been uh, equally unsuccessful. At, at persuading voters when their when their message is not persuasive, uh, for example, Mike Bloomberg uh, previously ran a, a gun control super PAC, uh, which supported candidates that that were big believers in in gun control. His candidates did not do well in elections. The candidates that he supported mm-hmm. did not do well uh, because what the super PAC can do is promote a message. It, it buys political ads. It buys uh, speech. Uh, but if voters don't buy that message, it just doesn't work. <laughs> sure. And then, so the final thing that I think the final thing that I think we can debunk here, uh, you know, the 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 largely liberal groups that don't like the Citizens United decision uh, aren't subtle that they believe that Citizens United means we no longer choose our own representatives. Uh, you know, they even by their names, you have represent.us, Every Voice. What have we seen in terms of represent, in terms of that you know representational choice? Because to me, 
uh, just sort of observing American politics over the past decade, it feels pretty open field. What, my, what Michael Barone calls open field politics, with both both sides winning, both sides lo- win some, both sides lose some. Uh, yeah, that, I mean that's definitely the case. I, I think in the last decade since Citizens United, you've seen uh, one of the most uh, one of the periods of most rapid political change. You've seen one of the periods where outsiders have had the most ability to come into the system. Uh, to enter into the system, it, it if you look solely at uh, c- congressional representatives who are new, so freshman congressional representatives, mm. the average number of freshman representatives in the five elections prior to Citizens United was 55, meaning about a fifth of the House was new. The, the average representative since Citizens United has been 79. Meaning, so that's that's twenty. That's twenty more. Right. Meaning about a, a, about a quarter of every house is new. Wow. Uh, over this time, we've seen Republicans win elections. We've seen Democrats win elections. Everybody has has changed hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the presidency has changed hands. We we reelected our first black president. We then elected the outsider candidate Donald Trump, who was. No establishment member's choice. Sure. Uh, it, it has been a, a time of, of really rapid and radical political of, change. Nothing like the the ossifying nature that people. Yeah, think. no, not the not the big business gets its choice all the time because of this decision. All right. Well, I'd like to thank Scott Blackburn of the Institute for Free Speech for joining us to discuss the Citizens United VFEC decision 10 years on. That's our show for this week. We encourage you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.